Welcome to Food Navigator USA's Soup to Nuts podcast with Elizabeth Crawford, where I dish with trendsetters, tastemakers, and industry experts about everything from emerging trends to marketing strategies to regulatory pressures. Americans' love affair with protein shows no sign of cooling in the coming years, with a compound annual growth rate projected at a steady 5.6% for the next three years, bringing sales to a predicted $39.08 billion, according to Markets and Markets Research. But as the overall market grows, consumers are becoming increasingly sophisticated about what types of protein they want, how much they want, and in what form, creating both opportunities and challenges for the industry. On the one hand, protein's rising popularity has attracted more consumers to the category, with roughly 53% of the general population in 2015 seeking foods that are high in protein, compared to just 39% in 2006, according to Natural Marketing Institute. It also has opened the door for more sources, including plant-based options and innovative platforms. But on the other hand, the protein craze has prompted a plethora of Me Too products and attracted manufacturers who are willing to compromise quality in order to cut prices to appeal to more consumers. As a longtime player in the category who specializes in soy-free plant protein-based products, the CEO of Sunwire, Russ Crosby, chatted with me about these and other changes that he's seen in the category's competitive landscape during the last decade, as well as where he thinks the market is saturated, where it has room to grow, and where it is headed. You know, when we talk about competitive landscape and where we're at, you know, today versus back in 2008, it's shifted dramatically. Um, I go back, you know, back to the beginning, and you know, it was kind of like a like a, a, a swimming pool with just a few of us in there, and there's plenty of room for everybody. We really didn't see the competition as as competition. Um, we kind of looked at each other as as people in the same league, just different teams, and together we were kind of blazing this new trail toward um, sustainability. And so it was kind of fun in the beginning. Now, when you look at it today, um, the competition is just it's ravenous. Uh, there's people have seen the trajectory of plant-based protein and, and they want their piece of it. And so you know, part of me is just happy that, that the founders had some foresight early enough to get in when they got in. Um, you know, really at this point, part of winning in this business is just holding on to the ground that you've already earned, um, holding on to that shelf space. There's more... Uh, I don't know, I guess I'll use the term me-toos that are flooding the market, but one of the, the benefits of this evolving market is that the shelf space is growing as quickly as the demand. And so, you know, back back in the early days, all you could do was find it on the, what do we call it, the, the dark back corners of the health food stores. Um, whereas today, it's not just in your mom and pops, it's it's in national chains like Whole Foods and Sprouts. Um, it's in sports, you know, different sports channels like GNC and Vitamin Shop and Vitamin World. Um, and it's crossing over even from there. 
to where now you can find it in some big box locations like you know Costco or Target. There's this movement now towards big organic, and that really is the migration of of plant-based proteins into you know your big box uh, locations. Um, and so, you know, it could be that. It could be that there's a migration of current, um, you know, users of the product that are just now buying it, the big box. But I think more than that, it's I think we're, we're seeing the industry itself grow in terms of consumership. More and more consumers are understanding the benefits of, of protein, and and beyond that, the benefits of of clean, you know, pure protein. As excited as Russ says he is about the positive changes in the category, he's also wary of some of the newcomers who he feels are not upholding the high standards set by more veteran companies. One thing that maybe is one caution as you know the competitive landscape has shifted is you've got all of these new players and one has to wonder, you know, with the increased demand does this permit a lesser quality? Um, we know consumer pricing is, is really the, the first driver of, of sales, and so the quickest way to reduce you know, uh, the price to the consumer is to cut costs on your end, reduce your COGS, which means you know, uh, reducing your, your ingredient quality. And so I do have concerns that with all of these uh, others entering the market that they might be bringing with them um, maybe reduced quality to compete at the price level or or to undercut uh, some of us who have been here longer. Um, but it's not all bad, you know, that um, with the increased demand, the, uh, the organic supply chain will also grow to accommodate um, really the demand of the consumers. So, you know, with Sun Warrior... Um, we'll just continue to keep our standards really high. We know our shopper. Um, you know, we, we understand the, the, the value of, of third-party certifications. You know, they come at a cost, but being certified organic, being non-GMO verified, kosher, and so forth, um, I think that's what really allows us in this, in this competitive market to, to still hold the ground that, that we've earned. Another key strategy Sun Warrior uses not just to hold its own ground, but to continue to grow, is providing consumers with much-needed education about protein, which Russ says has been a major driver in the category's overall growth so far. When you look at um, the growth that we have been fortunate enough to experience, um, along with you know many others, we're kind of riding this wave. And um, you, you do wonder what's what's creating this. Um, where are these consumers coming from? Where are they getting their information? Um, where's the education coming from? You know, and, and companies like Sun Warrior certainly work hard to put out a lot of content that help um, to kind of enlighten uh, the consumership out there. We want people not just to not. We're not creating, you know, these jingles or these little um, sales pitches. We believe that if we can educate, then sales will will ultimately follow. 
you're seeing more and more discussion about uh, protein and, and, and being selective and, what, and where you get those protein, uh, you know, how you find that protein and what you put into your body. And I don't, I don't necessarily think that um, the education has to be tied to the science, right? I mean, I don't think consumers need to appreciate first that protein is, you know, is simply a chain of amino acids. I don't think that that really helps. Don't, they don't need to know how it works. I think they're looking for the benefits of protein. Um, it's something that they've been consuming their whole lives, just didn't know that they were doing that, and they didn't understand the benefits of that. So, hey, if we learn more, can we leverage this knowledge to become a healthier person? You know, so if we can... Uh, you know, if we can talk about protein as a fuel, you know, it creates energy, it's, uh, it builds muscle, it maintains, your, you know, healthy bones, um, it aids in cellular regeneration, it, sp it can speed up metabolism, um, balances your blood sugar, uh, you know, the list goes on, improves brain function. And so, to me, that sounds like something I want to put in my body. That sounds really exciting. And so I think as people understand what protein does for them, um, then, then, the, the, then the demand, you know, uh, rises with that. And so thank goodness we've got, you know, social media these days. For all of the negative that social media can proliferate out there, there's a ton of positive in terms of just helping to educate and to, to evolve um, as, as a species. And so I, you know, I, I point to social media, I point to the internet, and I point to um, you know, some of, the, some of the, you know, Dr. Oz and others, and really kind of leading this charge um, has, has produced a, a much greater interest in, in, in protein consumption. Looking forward, Russ expects the protein category to continue to evolve not just in terms of source, but also with regards to delivery platform. You know, is protein powder going to be the solution five years from now, two years from now? I don't know, but, but I have to believe that people want, they want their protein in, in more and more convenient packaging. And so you've, you're probably familiar with, you know, the the acronym RTDs and RTEs. These are your your ready to drinks, your ready to eats. Um, those are those are wildly popular, and so it's it's even quicker than your powder uh, to mix into your smoothie. It's just it's ready to go. You just tear the packaging away, and and uh, you have your protein. So the, we kind of call those the on the goes, you know. Um, and so I think that certainly is, is the first step in innovation, is just making it more convenient for the consumer. Um, and that's, that's really exciting for us. We've, we, we sometimes will sit in product ideation meetings for hours talking about the different ways we can go. You know, we've talked about a savory protein line where you can add it to, you know, your sauces or soups. We've talked about this protein pantry idea where you could actually have like Sun Warrior protein pancakes or Sun Warrior muffin mixes. Um, 
we've talked about some of some some ready to eats in the form of like protein chips and dipping sauces. Um, and then <laughs> just this morning, I, I talked to uh, our lead product development um, member uh, Cody, and we were talking about this concept for a dessert. You know, we we uh, we're disciplined and we eat good all day, and every once in a while you have this need to your sweet tooth comes calling, and and so we thought, man, could we produce something that you know is uh, low in sh- you know or zero sugar, um, but you know so low on the glycemic index, it still tastes good, low calorie, low carb that somebody could just pop in to satisfy that sweet tooth and and make it a an extension of protein. And so, that, so there's so many ways you can go with this, and, and it's fun for us to kind of bat these around. Um, and so, you know, you have to innovate, or, or I think you just get left in the dust. Um, with all of these desires we have to innovate, we still have some pretty strict, strict um, uh, I guess, parameters that the owners have put on us. Uh, the founders are extremely, I think I can use the word militant now, <laughs> and it's okay, but they are militant. Um, and so, you know, if we don't check all of the boxes, if, if our products aren't certified organic or non-GMO or gluten-free, um, you know, we don't add sugar to any of our products, which I think is a huge selling point for us, and yet they still taste really good. Um how do we how do we create that dessert without maybe violating some of our own standards? And so it does kind of put a kink in, in that product development hose. But those are things we can work through. While SunWire develops these ideas, it is also launching new products and platforms now, including a new meal replacement and a protein bar line designed to make it even easier for people to consume clean, healthy proteins. One of the things that we... Uh, launched last year was a product called Illuminate, and it's interesting to see how it's being received, um, both by you know category buyers as well as by the consumers. They're they're calling it another protein, and that's both exciting and frustrating for us because um, we've already got three proteins, and what we really want with this uh, meal replacement, this Illuminate, is is to position it more like a an all-in-one shake. And um, it's, you know, it's more than just protein, and, and it's exciting because we call it Illuminate uh, because there's, there's this, what we call the core eight um, primary kind of focuses of, of the, the product. So it's, people like to call it a protein product because it actually has 19 grams of uh, pure, you know, plant-based protein. Um, along with that, though, it's got um, good carbs. It's got healthy fats. It contains the vitamins and the minerals, the enzymes, the probiotics, um, all of those things that our standalone proteins don't don't offer. So it really is something that, while it's an extension of protein, it really is significantly different. Um, so the consumer now, rather than opening up their, you know, their kitchen cabinet and pulling out eight different um, packages and you know uh, capsules. Um, they're just one scoop of this, illuminate with some water, shake it up, and you're good to go. 
So it's a really exciting product. Um, the other one is uh, our Ready to Eats. These are the, uh, the Soul Good uh, protein bars. Again, they, we, we meet all of the, the criteria in terms of, of those certifications that we seek, and these two have anywhere from 17 to 19 grams of, of, of plant-based protein. Um, so just two really exciting, semi-innovative products that, that um, launched last year. Um, both both have, have relatively good traction in the marketplace. And so, um, so we, we see kind of a need to follow that success um, there, but just maybe with more innovation. While protein is riding high now, Russ can't help but wonder how long it will last, especially when he looks back at other nutritional trends that once reigned supreme but have since faded from view. To protect protein in the long term, he suggests industry needs to transition it from a specialty nutrient that people buy in tubs and bars and use on the go to a pantry staple, which is woven into recipes the same way people now use milk, butter, and eggs. Protein, at least in our culture today, is, is ubiquitous. It's, you know, it's spoken of everywhere, and people, people appreciate it. And so... I'm thinking now of uh, back in the 90s when it seemed like calcium was, was, was riding this wave, you know, and, and drink milk, it does the body good, and all we heard about was calcium, calcium. And now I think people, calcium still has its benefits. Nothing has changed there, but the emphasis isn't on calcium anymore. It's, you know, it's, it's moved elsewhere. And so you wonder if that will happen to protein 10 years from now. Not that it becomes less needed in the body, but, but, but maybe there's something trending uh, in the future that we're, not, that we're not familiar with right now. So, you know, it's, it's hard to say where things will be. Um, ultimately, if you just look at, I'll just look at myself personally, and most people are probably like me. Um, it's within our nature to be lazy, you know, so... If, if you were to, to ask, you know, Russ, hey, do you want to, to eat um, this protein bar to get your 20 grams of protein, or would you rather go cook something up in the kitchen and clean everything up? And, you know, and, and so I think most people are going to lean towards convenience. That, that's me, certainly. Um, but I'm also hopeful that maybe with this greater understanding of protein, people will learn how to use it as, a, as kind of a staple in their kitchen, as an ingredient that can simply be just pulled out along with, you know, so it's time to make pancakes. Protein just becomes one of the staples in that recipe. For this to happen, my guess is industry will need to show consumers how to cook with protein. So coming back to those bakery mixes or the soup and sauce blends that Russ mentioned earlier. Another component likely would be working with bloggers and other influencers to develop recipes and showing their followers how to use the ingredient. But ultimately, only time will tell if this strategy will work. Until then, I want to thank everyone for tuning in this week, and I hope you join me again 
for future episodes of Food Navigator USA's Soup to Nuts podcast with Elizabeth Crawford. 